it's Shalacia Harris, your host of Buzzworthy. Join me as I sit down with entrepreneurs to talk about their innovative businesses and their unique stories. Remember to follow us on social at Hamilton Hive on all platforms. And don't forget to rate our podcast. Let's jump into today's story. Hi, everyone. Today we have Julie Cole here with us. She is a co-founder of Mabel Labels, which was eventually acquired by massive adhesive giant Avery, which is an incredible story coming out of yours truly, Hamilton. So we couldn't help but have Julie on the podcast to tell her story about how she built Mabel Labels with her co-founder to the point that a big giant like Avery was interested in, and we'll get to know her story along the way. So let's jump right into it. Welcome, Julie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure. I was so excited when you reached out because um, it was such a good marker of, yes, we're telling good stories that people are like willing to listen to and people want to hear more stories. So it's great to have you here. Well, we feel very connected to Hamilton, of course, because we started in Hamilton and mm. um, and that's where our roots are. So we feel a great connection. So, you know, when I heard some of your interviews with other Hamilton type businesses, I was like, oh, we should chat. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you're here. So to kick off the podcast, we always love to start with our first question is what set you up to be an entrepreneur? Well, it's a very good question, actually. I think really um, what set me up to be an entrepreneur is uh, is that there was a need in the marketplace. I feel like with entrepreneurship, I see it as, as a talent like anything else, like being musically inclined or being athletic. Are you entrepreneurial? And I don't actually think that I was born entrepreneurial, mm. but just like somebody's not born a musician necessarily, if they practice their instrument enough, mm-hmm. they can sound pretty darn good, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I feel like um, for me, it came out of a necessity. And I'll tell you, I'll explain a little bit, bit about that. So we started Mabel's Labels for two reasons. Mm-hmm. And one is the the one why is there was a need in the marketplace. You yeah. know, along with my co-founders, we were having small children and we were using masking tape and permanent marker to label our kids' stuff and it didn't work and it was ugly and we thought there must be something out there that's better and there wasn't. Yeah. So, you know, we thought, we can do we can do this. We can do this. We'll find like a really adhesive label. We'll find something that's dishwasher microwave safe. Um, and then, you know, go from there. So we got to got to work on that. Now, the second why um, is also a part of the Mabel's label story. And for me, it was that at that time, my then just turned three year old son uh, was diagnosed with autism. And Uh, I joke that I'm a recovered lawyer. (laughs) Um, And at that time, I just didn't feel that the traditional workforce was going to suit my family any longer. I wanted to be able to provide programming for my son, get him to his therapies and appointments, Mm -hmm. and advocate for him. And honestly, he already had two younger siblings, and he was only three. So it was already a very busy household. And of course, I went on to have three more kids. I have six kids now. So that was what set me up for entrepreneurialism. It really was those two whys, you know, filling a gap in the marketplace Mm -hmm. and a change in my family's needs. And, you know, often people ask me, you know, well, how did you come up with the idea of Mabel's labels or where, you know, and I 
always say, just go through the day and find something that pisses you off and make it better. And that's what entrepreneurs right? are, are doing every day. They're just solving problems that really annoy them. Exactly. It's all about solving a problem. And for yeah. us, which is also interesting, was that, you know, we understood our market so well because it was us. We mm-hmm. were young moms tired of losing things. So yeah. we're like, there's other moms out there who are tired of losing things too, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then that's, the, that's how we came about. That's amazing. I just want to go back to like, you know, those are those whys are so important as to like what sets you up to be an entrepreneur. But you're a lawyer, and that's a lot of school. That's a lot of dedication. That's a lot of hard work that you have to push through to actually get the title of being a lawyer. I think entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs have very similar things. You have to be dedicated. You have to have some sort of discipline. And I think those are some of the things that really probably help set you up. You you had that drive already. You were methodical in the way you did things. And That's a really interesting just, point. It's just transitioning yeah. that into... A new name. (laughs) It's interesting because I never really thought of it that way, but I think that's a really interesting point. I did, like, law school was hard. (laughs) Like, and in fact, when, you know, starting Mabel's Labels, I did have that moment of, oh my gosh, did I do all that for nothing? I Mm -hmm. did all that work and now I'm making labels in a basement. Like, because that's where we started, right? Um, But I will say, and I think entrepreneurs out there who are listening who have, like, very, you know, varied backgrounds. Like, my co-founders, one was a financial planner, one was a graphics manager, and one was a teacher. Well, we all brought skills from our former lives to the table, you know? So I thought, you know, for me, I'm like, I'm a very well-educated, like, label maker and diaper changer. But really, it has, you know, it's been great when we're reviewing contracts. I know, you know, I can help out there. If I have to write a cease and desist letter, I can do that. And the other gals also brought amazing skills from their past professional lives to the table. And all of that, I think, was incredibly valuable to Mabel's labels. Yeah, I I love this because like transitional skills and just like skills in general don't belong to any one career. And I think that's the beauty of entrepreneurship and that's the beauty of learning something, doing it well and being able to apply it in a different context. It's so true. And you know, I think about all the people I know who have MBAs and went to business school who are great at doing um, their jobs, but a lot of them aren't entrepreneurial, you know, so it's a different, it is like, you know, a different skill or a Mm -hmm. different, or a different talent or a different, you also, I mean, to be an entrepreneur, obviously you have to have quite a good appetite for risk. Correct. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And sometimes entrepreneurs, you know, are great, um, with coming up with the ideas and throwing stuff against the wall. Now, sometimes our follow through isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, sometimes you're, you know, it's just the ideas, but that's why I think entrepreneurs have to be very mindful about when you do end up hiring that you're filling gaps. So if you're the startup person, get somebody who's great with process, great with follow through. Don't hire somebody just like you hire somebody that will fill your gaps. Yeah. And, and that's why we see even in the world of employment right now, diversification, even of thought and experience and all of that makes such a big difference. And like myself as an entrepreneur, I come from the world of retail and CPG and, you know, I'm now in the financial space. And so I made such a big jump, you know, little experience, but I took, like you said, that one thing that pissed you off 
and is like, why is this wrong? Why has no one fixed it yet? And that's where Mabel's labels came in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you've got an interest in... Um, co-founder situation where you know there are three of you that's a lot of co-founders it's me plus three so it was four actually yeah four of us which is a lot that's a lot i I wish you can see (laughs) (laughs) that's and it's a lot of personalities to deal with when you're co-founding a company um like yours when you've all got the same passion how do you decide to how you're going to structure your work and yeah. all of that and ensure everyone has roles and no one's crossing over and stepping on each other's toes. How did that work out for you? Tell me about that. Yeah, that's a really great question. Four co-founders is a lot. And um, I will say in the early days, particularly though, it was super helpful because Well, as I said earlier, we had four different brains at the table, so different ideas. We also could divide and conquer, you know, Mm -hmm. like somebody could be researching equipment. I could be writing press releases. Somebody could be dealing with the bank. And so I feel like that really um, contributed to our early growth and early success. Um, But yes, we definitely, it was, you know, we learned as we went. Yeah. That's for sure. And there were times when we stepped on each other's toes. There were times that we got too protective about our departments and and worked in silos. And we Mm -hmm. had to be very, very mindful of that. We also wanted to make sure that the work was divided equally. We didn't want one person feeling like they were carrying the load and the other three weren't. Um, However, what we found over time was that often shifted depending on what was going on with a particular particular co-founder. So, you know, if I was in the hospital having, say, my sixth C-section, which happened, then, you know, the others would rally around and give me, cut me a little bit of slack, of course. So that, that's what was great about it too. We were each other's um, work support, work wives. Mm -hmm. And also from a personal perspective, we could really help each other out. So, you know, we, we didn't get it all, all always right. Mm-hmm. We learned and uh, we had to learn how um, how each other communicates and how each other receives information. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm a very abrupt person and I had to learn that some people need a little bit warming up before I just blurt out what my point is. Right. Yes. So that's, um, you know, learning. And we, we did those like tests where you find out what kind of communicator each other is. Mm-hmm. And then so we we're always learning. And when we got it wrong, we we're like, OK, we're practicing. We'll do better next time. That's so amazing. it took a lot of it took a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. It's great because then you obviously couldn't do it alone, um, not in terms of, you know, building the company alone, but having that mindset to be able to have that flexibility with each other right. um, because of your lives changing or other things that are coming in and out and changing the dynamic of things. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I found really helpful, you saying that, that uh, made me think of this, which was, you know, if one of us, I, I feel like entrepreneurs, I, I saw so many friends who were solo entrepreneurs and it was lonely, like, especially back in, I'm talking 20 years ago, right? So this is before Facebook groups and before, like, there was nothing. Like, you would go to networking events in real life. Like, remember when we would see people? <laughs> remember when that happened? And that's how you would meet people and get. So I really found that the solo entrepreneur friends, it was a lonely lonely battle. And if they got in their heads about something, an obstacle that was too big, or they couldn't surpass it, or whatever, like you have to, I always say your network is your net worth, like you need to be talking to people. So for us with the four of us, if one of us was thinking, oh gosh, what have we done? I was up all night last night thinking, we're making labels, why did I leave my job? What? Then the others would be like, dude, 
no, we got this. Remember, we got this plan. We got, let's go back to our business. So we could rally around each other and support each other. And I think having that, especially back in the olden days, like pre-social media was very helpful. Absolutely. And I, as a solo founder, it is still very lonely because you're so busy, ingrained in doing the work and you really have to pull yourself out to go to those networking events, whether it's an in-person or it's virtual these days. Um, that's, that's, and you had to do, you have to do all the things like you have to be like having an eye on the fine. Like for us, like I said, we could divide and conquer. We would, we were very accountable to each other. Mm -hmm. We would report back and we were from the very start, like business plan and taking minutes at meetings. Like we were very, um, so we, we wanted to be accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really great not to have to do all of the things like solopreneurs do. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to when Mabel Labels was, you know, being formed and you just didn't know it yet. Take me through your your daily experience with your children where you were writing on mask and tape with with right. Sharpies or whatever yeah. else. Take me back to those moments when you were just so frustrated. Um, and is there one particular moment where you're just like, I have to fix this now? Well, it was funny because I was talking about it. So my co-founders, by way of background, one is my sister. Mm-hmm. And then the other two are actually friends of ours that we met at the University of Waterloo when okay. we were students. Now, um, both of them met uh, my brother and the other one met, I have a young uncle, mm-hmm. and married them. So our my brother and young uncle, who's more like a brother to me, yeah. married our friends. So we ended up being like, two sisters, a sister-in-law and an aunt, which sounds ridiculous (laughs) because, you know, she's younger than I am. But um, so we had been talking about this idea because, again, you know, the frustration and just when we were together, we would be hanging out with all our kids. We'd end up with like, whose sippy cup is this? Did you, is that your wipes container? And we all had the same stuff. And we were like, let's just like, is there anything? Have you guys seen anything? And it was like, no, We're like, well, so we just kind of noodled the idea around a bit. And then it was when my son got diagnosed, I turned to them and I said, guys, okay, like I can't, I, I can't do traditional workforce. I'm not going back after my leave. I'm not, do, you know, yeah. um, what do y'all think about if we actually sit down and take this idea and make a go of it? Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of kept their day jobs, you know, dropping kids off at daycare and then going to work and then picking up kids from daycare and then bathing, putting them to bed, all that, and then getting on the computers, us getting on phone calls, us getting together for meetings. And, you know, and then when we sourced the equipment that we wanted, it was, uh, look, I remember I was pregnant with my fourth and I'm going to my sister's basement on Florence Street in Hamilton, you know, once kids were all in bed and making labels till two in the morning and then going home and getting up at 6 a.m. with my three little kids and doing the day with them. And, you know, during nap time, hopping on my la- my computer and, and emailing and doing what I got to do and mm-hmm. and uh, then doing it all again. It was it was, you know, like and this is the thing, like people really romanticize entrepreneurship. Right. And they think it's going to be all TED Talks and books and, 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 and money, money, money is going to be pouring in. Well, it really looks a lot like making labels in a basement till 2 a.m. <laughs> and being so poor, like not being able to, I mean, you know, not being, 
it wasn't like I put the kids to bed and sat down and had a glass of wine and watched Netflix, you know, yeah. or like you literally would put kids to bed and, as you know, like go to the starts. basement. Or the, right. Yeah. And, you know, I always joke that I could never lie down with my kids to get them to go to sleep because mm-hmm. what if I fell asleep? I'd lose like an hour or two and I couldn't afford to do that. I needed that time. That sounds like a serious fear, actually. <laughs> it was. It was. So I was like, no, if you, I mean, there's enough siblings. I'm like, if you're lonely, find a friend, go lie in their bed. Like, mama can't do that. I got to put you people to bed. And I got to get on my laptop. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's, that's the very unromantic view of, uh, of entrepreneurship. But I think when people are going to take this journey, they better go in with eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. and manage their own expectations and manage the expectations of their, their families. Yeah, because it's a tough, you, you're taking on oh, a lot. You're going to be, yeah, I mean, you're going to be working constantly. You're not mm-hmm. probably going to be going on family holidays because you're not going to make money for a while. You give, If you give up your day job, you know, you're doing without a salary as well, right? So, um, yeah. It's, it's not very glamorous, but yeah. you know what? It's, it's worth it. And for me, I just, you know, I wanted the flexibility. And, you know, I often say flexibility doesn't get your work done for you. So, yes, I could be at the park with my kids in the afternoon. And, yes, I was lunched over my laptop at midnight because of it. Yeah. So, but that was a choice I made. And I have no regrets. I have loved it. And you know what? When you are passionate about something, um, you know, the money does follow. It does. It does follow. But at the same time, and I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, I think entrepreneurs also have to know when to call it a day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes quitting can be for winners. If I was still in the basement making labels 20 years later, that would be a colossal fail. Correct. You know, like you have to have your business plan and yes, it's going to change and their path is going to wind differently at different times. But you need to know um, what your goals are and, and, and have clear vision and get mentorship, have coaching, do what you need to do. Uh, because yes, like I have not made a label myself in about 15 years and that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Because if I was, that's it. If I was working in the business, who's working on the business? Exactly. I really love that. That's such a great piece of advice that, you know, I hope everyone's just writing that down. Um, but I want to kind of talk a little bit more about was that solution impactful to you know, your son being diagnosed with autism, was that a particular tool you found that would be very resourceful to him? Actually, yes, that's a really good point. And as time has progressed and we've ruled out more product, we have so many products now that are helpful for um, all kinds of kids. So we have allergy alerts, you know, because when ki- when parents send their kids to school or to daycare and they've got, you know, an anaphylactic response to nuts or milk or dairy or whatever, um, our labels are the last, you know, um, educators obviously are very responsible about all this, but they mm-hmm. it brings them parents real peace of mind to see those big red allergy alerts on all of their kids' snack containers and sippy cups and bottles and things like that. So that, you know, if there is a supply teacher or if there is, you know, just it, it brings that peace of mind. Absolutely. So we, and we certainly, and we have um, bracelets as well that are safety bracelets where, you know, you I put them on my kids even when they would go to birthday parties. I'd be like, okay, if somebody, if they break an arm, my, my information's right there. 
there. My cell phone's yeah. right there. Come. You know, and we've had so many parents reach out and say, I, I lost my kid at Disney and they contacted me right away because my phone number was on their wristband. And wow. so I know. So and because kids with autism also are, are wanderers. Oh, they're terrible wanderers often. Um, so that does bring uh, peace of mind to to a lot of families for sure. That's amazing. And it's like you find one solution to a problem and you realize that this problem is greater and the solution is even greater to so many other things that you didn't even realize. For sure. And the beauty for us is that like our customers tell us and like Mm -hmm. some of our best products have come from customers being saying, saying, hey, Julie, you know what you guys got to do next? And we're like, we're listening. You know, yeah. so that's listening to and taking feedback and responding to feedback. Our customers, honestly, they have been amazing. And our community at Mabel's Labels, the Mabelhood, as we call it, is huge. I mean, we've got over 200,000 Facebook fans. We have over 100,000 Insta followers. We have a vibrant blogging community. Our community is everything. And that's what moms want. Mm-hmm. And that's a great support system because then you know you're not in it alone. It's similar to the whole co-founding situation that you had together with your friends and sister-in-law and aunt and, you know, everything, which is, which is really exciting. So when you decided to make your first label, what was that label for? And who did you think was going to buy that label? (laughs) Right. Well, I can tell you our very first marketing effort. What we did was we had enough money to buy a bunch of stamps and we had um, written a letter and photocopied it uh, and it gave our website Mm -hmm. and it was to all our friends and family and we said we've started a business please buy (laughs) and that was our very first and then we licked the envelopes and licked the stamps and sent it off so here's the thing though with the mom market is moms are a big word of mouth people Mm -hmm. we talk about products we love like it's a full-time job. We talk about them on the side of the soccer field and the school drop-off and daycare pickup everywhere we go. So um, it didn't take long for our product to, once it started getting out there and people would see it in the wild, as we'd say, moms would be like, what is that on your baby's bottle? I need to know what that is. And they'd be like, oh, you got to check out mamslabels.com. So, you know, it just spread a lot quite organically. Mm -hmm. And then we would find, we got some nice little early press hits. We got a little hit in um, Canadian Living. And we found, you know, once we got a hit, we would get a spike in sales. And then it would go down a little bit. And then two weeks later, we would get a second spike. And that would be the result of the first spike people getting their labels and using their labels and then people out there seeing the labels and then going and ordering them. We learned, it was very interesting to watch how like the marketing happened. And then, and you've got to remember too, that was pre um, social media. And once social media hit, Oh, that was, we were very early adopters because the moms, you know, moms started doing their mom blogs and we own Facebook and, and it gave us another vehicle for word of mouth. So we were very early pioneers in reaching out to the mom bloggers, sending them product, saying, let's do a giveaway with your community. And, uh, and that's how we grew our community. Amazing. And when you first like, you know, lick those envelopes and send it off to your friends and family, Mm. what was their response? Were they willing to like jump in it with you and support and buy your labels? Look, um, uh, it's so funny because we had our girls weekend, like all all our university friends. We went up to my aunt and uncle's cottage and um, 
and we brought we brought so many Mabel's Labels brochures that needed to be stamped with different camp names to send off to camps. And all our friends, all our friends from university, we just sat around at the big table at the cottage with glasses of wine, chatting away and sticking stickers Love on it. these back. And so, so the girls have always been, like our friends have always been a big sport. Now, I'm not going to lie. People thought we were crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I remember, you know, my grandpa... Um, you know, these are, you know, he moved to Canada from Ireland in 1950 and built a house and got a job at Stelco. And, you know, he was like, my girls have great careers. You know, he wanted yeah. security. This is all he wanted all his life. And so, you know, my sister being a teacher and me being a lawyer, like he loved when his kids and grandkids had secure employment and good pensions. That was yeah. all he was about. So when we started doing Mabel's Labels, he was like, what is this craziness, Right. Now, having said that, once we started to build and, you know, we moved from the basement Mm -hmm. and then we, I mean, we moved to where we are now, which is a 14,000 square foot facility on Chatham Street near the Hamilton Spectator building. And that's our production facility. That's our, where our marketing, finance, IT team, that's where we all live, Mm -hmm. customer service. And it's beautiful. And we had a beautiful opening party there. And my grandpa just walked in and his face, like he just, then he was so proud. And then, you know, it was really great when we were eventually being able to tell him that we were making more from our label company than we were in our previous careers. That's such a big win. Yes. That's an incredible win. Yeah. That was, we were very proud to be like, guess what, Grandpa? And he was like, oh, my girl. So, I mean, he just, he was just nervous because of obviously, you know, his generation. Yeah, for sure. You know, which is fair. So a lot of people were like, you're doing what? But then when they saw the product, it made sense. Yeah. Which can also be a challenge when you bring a new product to market because often you have to educate the market that they need your product. Correct. Right? So we were in a little bit of a bind like that because we thought, oh, we're going to have to do some educating. And I remember our first baby show, the baby show in Toronto, and all these dads came by the booth. They're like, well, I can just print these off on my printer at home. And I'm like, good luck with that. Here's my card. Give me, <laughs> go to my website when you can't do it. And they realized they couldn't. Yeah. Not in dishwasher. That was actually safe. my next question yeah. for you is what happens if the people are just like, well, I'm just going to continue using Scotch tape and Sharpies. They're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? Hey, you do you if that's good enough for you. But I can tell you there's a market of moms out there who spend a lot of money on their kids' belongings yeah. and they don't. And, and they like lost. the aesthetic. They yeah. And they don't want it lost. And they like the aesthetic. And they love seeing their kids' names in print. It's very personalized. They pick the color pattern. They pick a little icon that reflects their child's personality or their child's love. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they love it. And, yes, our market is sort of your type A mom. Your, our moms are, you know, you need to know your market. Our moms are professionals. They have money. They like their kids to have nice things. Um, that's our, And so that's who we market to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you grew Mabel's Labels, because this was like a phenomenal solution, you went from kind of, you know, just one type of label, and now you're in so many different So areas. many categories, yes. Yeah. How did you decide on which category was your next category to focus on and really rebuild. Yeah. So, I mean, we've had some a lot some, you know, ones along the way that we're like, no, that didn't work. We're going to discontinue that. Um, but generally, we do a lot of market research. We do focus groups. We have a production team. Uh, we look at feedback from our customers. Um, and 
we go from there. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we consider all of those things. But certainly, you know, um, sometimes we would just throw stuff against the wall and see if it sticks. And if, you know, we didn't make the sales. Uh, we didn't want it taking up too much valuable real estate on our website. We have to be yeah. very picky about that, right? Like having a really awesome website for a web-based business is number one, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, redoing our website's always a big, big job. And, um, yeah, so it was really about, you know, what products are our best sellers, what um, gaps, again, c- can we fill, and, uh, and, and we go from there. And, yeah, our product development team is amazing. That's incredible to see you went from your basement to this 14,000 square foot facility and now you've been acquired. And tell us a bit about that because, you know, people start, you know, they're in their basement. I'm going to run this business for the rest of my life. But now you're being acquired. Did Avery approach you? Right. Okay. Tell tell us that story. It's a good story, actually. So... We weren't in a position, like, we weren't thinking about selling. We had had other companies come to us and be like, hey, if you want to sell, let us know. We're like, nah, we're good. Mm -hmm. So we never really entertained the thought. Um, And then we were kind of at the point where we had been in the business for, like, 13, 14 years or something. And we were still running it, the four of us, kind of as co-CEOs. And I was getting a little cumbersome. Mm-hmm. And we needed we needed to do something, whether it was hire one CEO from the outside or, you know, maybe get some investment. And we just knew that we're, we're needing Stagnant to do something. We were a little bit that. It was okay. a little bit like, have we taken it as far as we can, yeah. right? Um, and then out of the blue... We got a call from Avery, and they're like, "Would you be open for a chat? Could we go for dinner?" We're like, "Sure." Sat down, and they didn't say anything that we didn't like, so we kept the conversation going. And that was in July, I believe. And we actually what year? Oh, there you go. It's got to be about five years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe even more now, six. Uh, time, man, messes with my head. <laughs> um, so we did f- we did wrap up the deal by um, year end. So from July to end of December is actually very quick. That is very fast. Yeah, yeah. it's very mm-hmm. fast. You know, a lot of a lot of companies until that money's in your bank, don't you tell anyone? Don't you because you will you people get left at the altar constantly. Absolutely. So. Um, yeah, there were, I think really there were three reasons why we ended up going with Avery. One, well, it's Avery, right? Like, it, it makes a lot of sense. And and we did like the fact, although Avery's American, they're owned by CCL, which is Canadian. Hmm, I did know that. Yeah, so that was, that was a bonus. Um, we also love that they were keeping our brand. They knew better than to come in and try and turn it into Avery. They're, what they loved about us was that, that brand. the brand, we had created this amazing brand and we created this amazing community. They would be idiots to come in and change all that. So we loved that it was still going to be in Hamilton. We're still where we were. Um, so there was a lot going to be the same, but but the, the opportunity to have access to their resources and their policies was also really helpful and attractive to us, right? Mm-hmm. So there was that. And then, of course, the price had to be right. You know, we weren't giving this thing away. We had put a lot of blood, sweat, tears, a lot of, you know, energy into this. And um, and there were four of us. So we had to remember also that we were only getting 25% of the pie. Yes. So we had to make sure that we were all going to be comfortable with that. So at the end of the day, that all came uh, came through. And we went to due diligence. And uh, my advice to anyone out there who's thinking about selling 
I've got lots of advice about that, actually. But make sure you, you, you nothing gets caught up in due diligence because you don't want to lose money. When they come in to have a look under the covers of your business, you don't want them finding things that make them come back and say, now you're getting a million dollars less because of this. Make sure you've got all your housekeeping in order, all your contracts, all your records, all your finances. Make it easy peasy, lemon squeezy for them. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so we didn't lose anything in due diligence. We were always good housekeepers in that department, and uh, and then it closed. So, yeah, and I'm still there. I'm still with them full time. So part of the deal was I was staying on for a year, mm-hmm. which is great because you want to do a nice transition, Correct. and uh, you know you want your you you want to leave your baby in successful hands, right? So two of us left right away, and two of us stayed on. Uh, now the third, she left a couple of years ago now, so I'm the last last one standing. And uh, it's been great. So at the end of that year, um, you know, we looked at each other. I'm like, I'm still loving it. They're like, we're still loving you. So now I'm just a regular old employee, loving, still loving Mabel's Labels and working hard at it. That's such an interesting transition to happen. It is. And look, I'm going to tell you, for anybody who is doing the transition, it doesn't work for a lot of people. Okay, so you have to know, like, somebody's going to come in and change some of the things, the way you do things. You're not going to get consulted about things that you used to be consulted about. It can be very hard. And I've got, I know I've got some friends who have done a three-year transition, and they said it's too long. Yeah. Three years can be too long. So, um, but you might want to stay on for three years if part of the buyout is as the business grows, you still get a cut in that. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on how you um, set up the sale. So we were we got our money and that was it. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. I I mean, this is such an incredible story that it's it's really resonating with me as to one of the reasons, you know, we started this podcast at Hamilton Hive is we wanted people to see that great things can come from Hamilton. Great ideas can come from Hamilton and they can remain here as well, which I think is incredible that you still have your production facility, your home of Mabel's Labels at, you know, near the spectator in Hamilton and that's huge. And we did, I mean, when we got a business coach who, um, you know, would come to all of our meetings to help, you know, we needed an outsider's view and we got Pete Smith from Innovation Factory who was amazing for us and he was a great moderator of conversation and he brought... He's a consultant, so he brought experience that he had with all of his other clients. Um, so we felt supported by the Innovation Factory. I've, you know, I've worked closely. I speak at McMaster sometimes. I speak at Mohawk College. We, um, we've found, you know, great women's organizations. We're part of the Chamber of Commerce, so we felt supported as well as yeah. business owners in Hamilton. And I feel like there's a real energy um, that Hamilton has, and we love being a part of that. Correct. For a city, it has a very small community feel, which I think is so impressive. I agree. And no matter how big it grows, I hope, you know, that is sustained in every way because that's one of the reasons um, I moved back to Hamilton is because that sense of community is so strong. I love that. Yeah. So now you've been, you started in the basement, you've been acquired by a big giant, What's next for you, Julie? <laughs> right. Well, good question. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm the Senior Director of Public Relations. It brings me all over the place talking to loads of people. I was 
in LA on Saturday speaking at the Prego Expo, create her event. I was hanging out backstage with Tori Spelling oh. and Nick Cannon. And it was it was quite an event. So I did my speaking engagement. Then I hopped on a red eye to come home. And, you know, I've got stuff going on all the time. I just published a book. My book um, launched in May and it's called Like a Mother, Birthing Businesses, Babies and a Life Beyond Labels. And it shares, you know, my life hacks, my parenting hacks, my business hacks. So that's been very exciting. It hit bestseller status within the first 24 hours. And we've had super fun launch parties and, and signings. So that's been that's been really great, too. So a lot of speaking engagements, a lot of TV media stuff I do, um, and just getting out there in the community and, sh- and spreading the Mabel love. That's, that's incredible that you've been able to transition into this new, new space where you can share all of that you've learned in your experience. And I'm so thankful that you're able to come onto our podcast um, to share this incredible story. And what I like to always leave our audience with is, you know, some really strong words of wisdom from our entrepreneurs directly. And what would you say to an entrepreneur that's now starting out, that's in the rough part of it, you know, isn't sleeping, is working until 2 a.m. every night and up at 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever that means. What do you have to say to them to get through this, you know, messy stage to climb out on top and win? Yeah. Look, I do. I said it earlier. I really do believe your network is your net worth. Um, Make sure that you're talking to people. Make sure you're connecting with entrepreneurs. Be unapologetically like, like, take me. Can I take you out for a coffee? Can I pick your brain? Like, go out there. Ask the questions. I always say no's are free. Just put yourself out there. And also really be mindful of your personal brand. Um, You know, make sure you're representing your brand well. You are the face of your brand. And that is what's going to differentiate you from any competitors. Mm -hmm. Know what your story is. Share your story. Um, When you get out there, you create credibility. Credibility leads to loyalty, which leads to sales. Absolutely. I love that. So succinct. We might just have to quote that from you and put it all over social. But thank you so much, Julie, for joining us. It was such a pleasure. Um, I'm certainly going to get your book. Is it on Amazon? It sure is. Yeah. Okay. And you can find like anything about me. You can find I'm on all the social things like Perfect. Instagram. I'm at Julie Cole Inc. and Maple's Labels, obviously. And um mableslabels.com clearly and mableslabels.com slash julie cole has all of my stuff okay cool we will link all of that for everyone to get to know julie a little bit more we will also drop your book link in our episode description and on our social so get to learn julie's incredible story we're so glad you kept your business in hamilton um, because hamilton's a great place for entrepreneurs thank you so much for having me thank you julie take care A huge thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in every week to hear about our buzzworthy businesses. Don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you're listening and following us at at Hamilton Hive on all of the social media platforms. But most importantly, we want to thank our team of dedicated volunteers who make this podcast possible on a weekly basis. So here we go. Cesar Cardenia. Khalid Imam, James Clark, Trisha Ford, Ratri Toon, Hirsch Kumar Patel, Fernando Rodriguez, Yvette R., and yours truly, Shalacia Harris. 
Don't forget to tune in next Monday for a new episode of Buzzworthy.